Hello, Joanna. Hello, Nate. And hello to all of you. We are Stranger Than. We're a podcast that talks about all manner of things. The strange. (laughs) The macabre. The weird. The creepy. The creepy. This time, we are going to talk to you about Chernobyl. Following up our last episode on the Tunguska event. Right. And we're just going to stick in that part of the world, I guess. Yeah, well, you know, there's been a lot of messed up stuff that's happened in that part of the world. I guess everywhere in the world bad things happen, but I thought it would be a good one because this month is the month that it occurred. So the the disaster, the Chernobyl disaster is what we're going to be talking about. And the anniversary of that is is coming right up. So it's like, why not make make April just about Russia? Russian disasters. (laughs) Yeah. The former Soviet Union. We're going to start out by talking about what a nuclear power plant is, really. Because yeah, I'm not, I'm not all that familiar. It's like, you know, you use nuclear energy, but... Yeah, it's not all flux capacitors and time travel. <laughs> it's This part's a little heavy with science-y stuff. Oh, wow. So we're not going to, like, dial it down to, like, I don't know, maybe trying to explain what Homer Simpson's job is. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck his job is. I don't think I don't know he what knows what his job is. Probably not, but yeah, I mean, that's basically my... The extent of my knowledge of how a nuclear power plant works. Yeah, is, well, there's, um... <laughs> there's a lot of explanations behind terms to actually understand what how it works. So here we go. Nuclear fission is when an atom splits into two parts. This can be done naturally or it can be done with controlled intention. An atom is made up of protons and neutrons, which carry a positive charge, and is surrounded by electrons, which carry a negative charge. The electrons orbit around the nucleus, kind of like the moon orbits around Earth. Electrons are the lightest particle in nature. They're a lot lower density than the nucleus of the atom. Which is so tiny that... Which is ridiculously small. (laughs) None of this can be seen with the naked eye. Not at all. Electrons are attracted to the positive charge, and so that's what keeps them orbiting around the nucleus. The term splitting an atom is when the nucleus of the atom is split by either radioactive decay or by being bombarded by neutrinos. Neutrinos are subatomic particles that are kind of like an electron without an electrical charge and a mass of very near zero. These things are the most abundant particle in nature, but are very difficult to detect because they don't really interact with matter very much. So there's not really much to detect. It's believed that most of the neutrinos were created during the creation of the universe but can also be produced through a decay of radioactive materials. Radioactive decay is what happens when an atom becomes unstable and begins to fall apart. This happens when a change in the proton, neutron, or electron occurs, which can just happen with age or it can be forced. This change can change the atom to a different kind of atom, so it can change the element entirely. There are three kinds of radioactive decay, alpha, beta, and gamma decay. Alpha decay is when two protons and two neutrons, an alpha particle, leave the nucleus in an effort to stabilize the atom. This results in the change of the element. Fortunately, alpha particles are really only dangerous if ingested. Even clothing is enough protection from it. These are slow-moving, large particles. If you eat it, you're fucked. Okay. But 
as long as it stays on the outside of you, it's really not that big of a deal. Is is radium one of those things? Is that I believe like so? How, yeah, I how believe that works. so. That's that's what I that's what I thought because maybe it's because the people that were kind of like externally exposed didn't really yeah suffer a lot of uh, consequences from it. But second, you're dipping your little paintbrush in yep. some and sticking it in your mouth, and it really fucks you up. It really fucks you up. Beta decay is split into beta plus and beta minus. Beta plus decay is when a proton in the nucleus of the atom turns into a neutron, a positron, and a neutrino. So one thing turns to three things. A positron is basically just a positively charged electron. The positron and the neutrino fly away from the nucleus quickly. In the case of beta minus decay, a neutron becomes a proton, an electron, and an antineutrino, which is the antiparticle of a neutrino. An antiparticle is a particle with the same mass but opposite charge of the particle. In both these cases, the change in the number of the protons and neutrons causes the element to change. The positron in plus and the electron in minus is called the B particle. The B particle is 8,000 times smaller than the A particle and is quite dangerous. It is small enough that it can penetrate clothing and skin, but it is stopped short by solid metal. So even just so, aluminum like will stop it. Or aluminum. Oh, lead will stop the shit out of it. But aluminum would stop it or, or you know, iron would stop it. So you'd have to wrap your head in tinfoil, that kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Gamma radiation is the really bad shit. To adequately protect against this sort of radiation requires several feet of concrete or several inches of lead. There are three forms of gamma decay. Then, In the most common, the nucleus kind of freaks out and gets rid of excess energy electromagnetically. This makes gamma ray photons radiate out of the source. In the second form, the nucleus dumps its excess energy into an electron, which causes it to shoot away from the atom. This is called internal conversion. The final way, internal pair production, is when the extra energy is converted inside the electromagnetic field of the nucleus into an electron and a positron and shot away. Gamma radiation can occur as a result of alpha or beta radiation or by external external intervention, human intention. This radiation will just fucking kill the shit out of you. Mm-hmm. Like this is this is the bad shit. Well, yeah, it doesn't sound very good. No. When you need several feet of concrete to Yes, several inches of lead, yeah. Yes, just Now all of it can kill you. All of this all different kinds of radiation, but it's just a matter of how easily and quickly a nuclear reactor is a place where fission can occur. All of that was just to kind of tell you that. A neutron is shot at an atom which splits or fissions into more atoms, as well as some extra neutrons, which strike atoms, which split, and so on. This chain reaction creates a bunch of energy presenting as heat. Water is used to cool this heat, which creates steam. The steam turns turbines, which create electricity. The most common element used in a nuclear reactor is uranium, though plutonium and thorium work as well. So basically, you get some really radioactive shit, and it has a reaction when you put other- You make it explode, You make it explode, and that explosion creates heat, which, when water is added, creates steam, which is what pushes the turbine's giant fans, and that's what creates the energy. So it's giant fans- Powered by steam, powered by heat, powered by nuclear shit. Yes. Okay. The amount of energy produced from a nuclear power plant is intense. 
The uranium is put into the reactor in the form of pellets. A single one of these pellets is equivalent to about 2,200 pounds, 998 kilograms, of coal. 2.7 million tons of coal per year is required to match the output of a nuclear power plant at about 30 tons. That's a lot of coal. Yes, so 30 tons of nuclear power equals 2.7 million tons of coal. The amount of waste is also quite small, about 5 grams a year for a single person's energy usage. So if there's 100 people using this nuclear power, it creates 500 grams. Of nuclear waste? Of nuclear waste. Okay. As opposed to coal, which is just like tons of smoke. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. This is the weight of a standard piece of paper. It can be recycled and reused for reactor fuel or processed for disposal. Wow. So that's pretty, uh... Yes. So, I mean, that's a a great uh, way of really spinning the positive of a nuclear power plant. Because it is is cleaner until. (laughs) Yeah, it's much better for the environment until. 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 Construction on what is officially called the V.I. Lenin nuclear power plant began in 1970 and ended in 1977. This power plant was built in Ukraine, about 60 miles north of the capital, Kiev, and was the first one built in Ukraine. It was a four-reactor power plant with plans to add another two reactors. And at this time, Ukraine is part of the USSR. It's not its own. That's right. Ukraine's still there, but it's its own country now. I don't even know if it has the same borders as it did. Probably not. I don't know. I don't know that either, but... Yeah. It is still the Ukraine, but it's its own... Yeah. It's its own now. Ukraine is its own... State but country. at the time, it was part of the USSR, USSR right. which is a big-ass landmass. That was a big-ass landmass, and it, you know, the government was, uh, yeah. Communist. Mm-hmm. Each reactor produced 1,000 megawatts. During the construction of the actual power plant, the construction of the town Prepyat for the power plant workers and their families was also started. This town was situated about 1.2 miles, 2 kilometers, from the power plant and had around 13,000 apartments, nearly 100 schools, which seems weird, but maybe not. I guess when you've got elementary and middle and high school, I don't know how they do it there. Well, I mean... Colleges and shit, I don't know. Out here, there, even right now, like I think there's a lot of schools, more than you would think. I like, guess that's North probably School true. District has like so many elementary schools. That's fair. Yeah, All and right. then there's... It it gets smaller as the grades get higher. Right. But yeah, there's lots of there's lots of kids. People make lots of kids. Yeah. And you can only have so many per school. So that's fair. Yeah. Uh, there was hospitals, stores and whatnot. Uh there's movie theaters and an amusement park. So a nice little town. It had everything. September twenty sixth, nineteen seventy seven is when the power plant started producing power and supplying it to the grid. Nine years later, everything is going fine. Uh, Well, for the most part. In 1982, there had been a partial core meltdown in Reactor 1. They had managed to repair it and get it back up and running within a few months. They just didn't release the information until 1985. Well, of course not. I mean, very hush-hush, that USSR. Oh, yeah. They were working on building the next two reactors to bring it up to a total of six. And during this time, the Soviet government is claiming that the odds of a nuclear meltdown are, quote, One in 10,000 years. Oh, yeah, I read that somewhere. In April of that year, 1986, it was time for a routine safety test. 
I think it was overtime for a routine safety test. Something like that. Yeah. It should have been actually been done when the number four reactor was completed. Now, this was such a routine test that the director of the plant didn't feel like he needed to be there. Right. On April 25th, 1986, the operators at the power plant began to reduce the power in reactor four at 1 a.m. for the test. The operators were timing this test with another routine maintenance task. They thought that if they needed to shut it down anyway, may as well kill two birds with one stone and do both things. This, this test was to see if the power plant would continue to produce enough energy to keep the coolant pumps running in the event of a power failure. There's no power, then the turbines begin to slow, which creates less electricity. There are backup generators that kick in with if the power does fail, but the coolant needs to run in between the time the power fails and the generators kick on. Makes sense. At 2 p.m., the operators disable Reactor 4's emergency core cooling system so that it doesn't interfere with the test. Here, the test is put on delay. Authorities wanted to be sure that the area that the reactor served power to would still have sufficient power for stuff. Microwaves or whatever. Mm-hmm. Finally, at 11.10 p.m., they get the go-ahead. The operators on shift at this time weren't the same ones that started it and were supposedly never instructed on how to do this test. And I guess they were less experienced anyway. They gave this more skilled workers better shifts or perhaps the day was just more rigorous. Right. I think the the guy that actually, the two that are running the test, one has experience, but one's only been on the job like two months. Yeah. Um, Leonid. That's his name. On April 26th at 1228 a.m., the power levels have tanked and the reactor is unstable. Not ideal. No. The operators remove most of the control rods to counteract this. The control rods are what keep the... The control rods are made of a material that absorbs neutrons, which reduces the amount of fission occurring. So it it shuts down the energy. Yeah, you put... It lowers the energy. Exactly. There's less explosions because these rods are sucking up these these neutrons, so the neutrons Mm -hmm. are unable to smash into another atom. The operators had removed these control rods. Right. And that was to allow for more fission. Right, because they weren't getting enough power. Exactly. To run their tests. And this went against the plant safety regulations, but they're trying to get the power levels up, and that's one way to do it. Yeah, I think the the power levels had gone down too much, and they were trying to quickly get them back up. Exactly. So you pull out all the rods that keep the thing from just possibly going... Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. And then... To what get happened? the power up. I to mean, it makes, power sense. Up. it makes yep. sense logically. Now, I guess they weren't aware of the xenon buildup in the core. Xenon is a product of uranium fission, and it absorbs neutrons exactly like the control rods. Mm-hmm. It has a half-life of just over nine hours, so it doesn't, doesn't stick around for very long. But it's still there. Now, by 1 a.m., they have it stabilized. It's at a lower power level, but it's stable. For some reason, the supervisors at the plant decide to continue with the test. So many more safety features are shut down, including the automatic emergency shutdown systems. Just after 1.23 a.m., there's a burst of energy that they did not expect. 36 seconds later, the operator slams his down on the emergency shutdown button, probably large and red. This puts the control rods into the core in order to soak up neutrons to stop fission and save the day. Right, so it's emergency stuff. So all those rods that pulled out, if you need to just shut it down immediately, it's like stab all the rods into the core at once to immediately cool it down and and stop the process. Unfortunately, 
The control rods displaced a bunch of water, you know, that's supposed to cool stuff off. And and then that there's created the tips. a whole bunch of steam, which created a whole bunch of power. Well, the whole reason it created displaced the water and created the steam, though, is because the tips of it were graphite. Because the tips were graphite? Yes, because the tips were graphite. So in that instant, it actually creates energy instead of lowering it right it gets a and burst because of energy it before been, it lowers, lowers it the core had been pushed to the very edge it happened usually you, the the graphite tips don't cause a bunch of trouble when yeah. it hasn't when the core itself hasn't become dangerously low and isn't filled with this what was that zion xenon that, that xenon uh that xenon gas yeah yeah but in this instant the second that graphite hit that it's like boom it took 18 seconds and uh a fireball shoots into the sky mm-hmm. blowing the 100 ton roof off the reactor uh, the plant goes dark dust and graphite chunks fill the air and radiation starts to leak out the destruction is massive walls collapse equipment collapses and of course there's fires all over including on the roof of the neighboring reactor mm-hmm even with all the widespread damage, the guy in charge of this test was adamant that Reactor 4 was not destroyed. Oh, God. This he, guy is such a dick. He died of radiation poisoning some time later. So it's Anatony Dyatlov is the guy who was, like, in charge of running the test. He was a very smart man, but also just, yeah, I guess just, like, the guy's a dick. And he would always wield his power over the other workers, very much in denial and insistent that the core had actually not exploded. Which was not clearly, the case. Which was not the case. It, it totally fucking exploded. Nine steps to containing the nuclear explosion. The key players in this beginning part are probably the three men most responsible for what happened. And the ones that ultimately will get the blame later on down the road. So Anatoly Dyatlov, as I said... That was the guy who was running the test that night. The guy who was a giant dick and made, yeah. and made <laughs> the operators do whatever he told them, even if probably at some point they were like, uh, are you sure we're supposed to do this? It doesn't sound like a good idea to me. I don't think that this is following safety protocols. Something bad could happen. And look at, look at that. Something bad did fucking happen. Holy a shit. huge bad. The, probably the worst it's catastrophe the worst. Yeah. in humans' existence. It, it, it caused the largest uncontrolled radioactive release into the environment ever recorded for any... Anything. Anything. Much larger than uh, Hiroshima. Yes. Which is like our favorite baseline to compare. <laughs> That's radioactive. Yeah, the baseline for all radioactive explosions, pretty much. Yes. It released huge quantities of radioactive particles into the air iodine 131 and cesium 137 are the the two prominent ones here yes nikolai foman he was the guy who felt like he didn't even need to be there for the test he was the chief engineer okay i thought it was uh victor Brokenhov, he yes. was the director of oh, okay. the station. So he's like the big, big guy in charge. Oh, okay, okay. I was just confused as to like, exactly what these fucking <laughs> jobs were, you know? Nikolai 
is the one who should have been there for the test, and he is a chief engineer. But yes, above him, uh, Victor Brokhanov, he was the one that, like, he was the director. He was the big boss of the plant. Yeah. All total dicks. All self-serving people that decided that, like, yes, let's just uh, not acknowledge this for what it is for a long time so that this thing can continue to compound and just grow bigger by the hour. Because, I don't know, we're just going to look the other way and, like, maybe it'll just... uh, Maybe it'll fix itself. It'll just fix itself. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's (laughs) reasonable. And, uh... This gets you to step number one. You got to put out the fire. Yes. Firemen are called in at one twenty-eight a.m. So what was it? One twenty-three when the yeah it took about five minutes for the first yeah. responders to get there. Yeah. The first firefighters arrive at the scene, and they really have no idea about the danger they're about to put themselves in. Yeah. Not even actually so much danger as like certain death. Right. And it's 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 imminent death. Yeah, imminent death. So it was fire brigades from Pripyat as well as uh Kiev and a couple other places. Well Kiev was like sixty miles away. Yeah, but I mean they come eventually. Oh, they, okay, they I see weren't what you're they weren't there in five minutes. No, I was gonna say, holy <laughs> shit. That is some fast it, ass. It it was the Pripyat firefighters that are first oh, yeah, on be- scene five minutes later. Because that is just over a mile away. It's two mm-hmm. kilometers away. Yeah. Now, number two, you call a meeting and then you lie your ass off. Oh, yeah. All right. So, 2.15 a.m., that's when the Pripyat Department of the Ministry of Home Affairs convenes a meeting. So, I would imagine this is like the head people in town, the head, I don't know if the K, there's a KGB person there, too. It's It's weird when you're. Yeah, it's like communist. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure there was time probably... and so like I'm not quite sure how the power was dispersed amongst a city like that. Right. But yeah, I mean the higher ups in the city, along with like you know Victor and Anatoly Dyatlov and Nikolai Foman, they're all kind of there with like the town powers that be to explain the situation, which of course they downplay. Oh yeah, like oh it's Anatoly not that big of a deal. Dyatlov was very loud in asserting that this was uh like one of the water tanks had blown up oh yeah or or uh, uh one of the fuel tanks because there's also fuel yeah. tanks up there something something like that had blown up the core itself had not exploded and was not now sitting exposed spewing radiation radiation out into the rest of the world yes every second that it went on no that was not the sitch at all. I mean, would he the have meeting... sent firefighters in there if there was going to be a nuclear problem? Right. Firefighters were called because it's just simply that the roof next door is on fire. <laughs> the core itself isn't, like, burning. No, no. 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 Well, at the end of this meeting, they decided that the best course of action is to not let anybody know about this. I mean, they're going to have to make some calls and make some calls and go, like, up the line to report the incident. But as far as, like, you know, as far as the civilians in Pripyat, Mm. they don't need to know anything about what's going on because there's nothing to know. It's just a fire. It's just a fire. There's an accident. It's being contained. No big deal. 
And to make sure that anybody may be getting crazy ideas about radiation and that this could be dangerous, to make sure, like, none of them start causing any trouble, they call upon about 3,000 extra police from the surrounding areas. Because there's several towns around the area. There's, like, five or six, I think. And they, they close the borders. So you can't get out of Pripyat and you can't get in yep. to Pripyat or the surrounding areas because that reduces the spread of misinformation. You don't want that misinformation to spread. Mm-mm. Yeah. So, okay. Foman, I think, is maybe one of the worst of the administrative dicks responsible for not only like just completely fucking up the test in the first place, but what happened after. This is Nikolai Foman. Nikolai Foman, yes. He enters the control room, still convinced that this is simply like a tank explosion. He yeah. orders more water to be continuously fed to the reactor core. The reactor core, which is like on fire and exposed, and yes. so the water just isn't actually going anywhere near it. It's just... Evaporating probably before it even hits. It's the, evaporating, plus yeah. it's just like filling up the building, and so it's just causing like a flood. Yeah. Because all the pipes are burst oh, around yeah. the mean, reactor there's a giant core. explosion. So it's, yeah, so it's not getting anywhere it needs to go. Right. <laughs> it's just coming out of wherever and flooding what remains of the building around the exposed core. He orders one of the employees, Sitnikov, to climb onto the roof and to observe the damage. <laughs> Sir, I can't find the roof. If this guy had any inkling that the reactor core was possibly exposed, he would know that sending somebody out there would be lethal. Lethal. He was sending someone to their death. Right. Just to go and have a look for him. Yes. Because he didn't want to do it himself. Well, no, it's dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> so he's just sending, you know, some, you know, some more, you know, like, hey, you go out there on the roof and uh, you there intern. You there nuclear engineer who's yeah. super smart and stuff but just doesn't have a position of power more likely yeah get out there and and take a look sitnikov would receive a lethal dose of radiation when he yes. goes out there yes he goes back in there and tells them that the core is exposed that the the you know there's nothing covering it anymore <laughs> and that it's on a fucking fire and they refuse to, to believe him still. Of course. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know what he's talking about. No, not at all. And that's basically what the attitude is. Is like, you didn't see that. Yeah. Like, bullshit. Uh-huh. You're fired. <laughs> Seriously, though. By 6.35 a.m., all the fires are extinguished. The external fires. Like, the roof is no longer on fire. Right, right. They put out the the roof on top of Reactor 3 and... And at this point, lots of the firemen that initially responded. Now, this has been going. They've been fighting it for five hours. And in this time, I think. They come back tan. <laughs> they do come back tan. 28 of them will die in the ensuing weeks yeah. from radiation exposure. And there is probably 163 total firemen at the scene at some point or another. That uh -huh. included the ones that came in from out of town to help. Well, pretty no. fucked up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Pretty, really, really fucked up. It is fucked really up. fucked up, the, the deaths that are suffered by these people. that The lives that are thrown away. Yeah. Well, and I mean, the direct exposure, 
yeah, there's a lot of lives fucked up by this, depending on your level of exposure. The ones that re- receive a fatal dose of radiation, like, basically are condemned to the worst death ever. Yeah. And I'll get into that in, in just a just a little while here. And then there's those that aren't exposed to a lethal dose, but enough to wear cancer. They feel something. <laughs> All sorts of things can happen to you down the road with a not lethal dose of radiation. Yeah, I mean, reproductive problems. I mean, just mm-hmm. the problems list that is... are passed on to your children. Yes, hereditary hereditary problems. Because it'll fuck your DNA up. Yeah, it, it completely yeah, kind of like just takes your DNA and like, oh, let's just uh, like rearrange this all and fuck it up. Yeah, it's not. It's not good. It is not good at all. Radiation does not create Ninja Turtles. Oh, man. Radiation radiation is just definitely my top, like, things that I'm terrified of. Fortunately, exposure to radiation is a very easy thing to avoid. Most of the time. But then something like this happens. Yeah, yeah. Your local nuclear power plant explodes because of uh, incompetence. And then not only that, but... You're not even made aware of the danger that you're in. Yeah, for you don't even a know. While. So you don't have the opportunity, and they block they 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 cut off the access points to town. So, so even if you are so even if happening you know, to yeah. leave, they're like, they're sorry, like, sorry, go home. Don't want to spread that bad information. Do not want to spread that bad information. What you do want to do is step number three: time to have another meeting. Yeah, probably. Now this meeting occurs in the Kremlin. So this is in Moscow. This is over in Moscow. This is like the headquarters of the Soviet Union as yep. it was at the time. Yep. That's where Mikhail Gorbachev leads a meeting and going on bad information from uh, Victor and Nikolai. You know, like there's no explosion. This guy came in here like with his face half burnt off from right. exposure and uh, told us that it was, but we don't believe him. Yeah. What does he know? Nothing, nothing. Nothing. He went to a tanning bed. Mm-hmm. That's how they do it in Ukraine in April. <laughs> so Gorbachev was under the impression that, yes, there had been an accident, but it was being well contained. Yeah. It was an accident, but it wasn't a big deal. Not a big deal. And didn't Not seem an international like it was going to have any big of a, any major consequences. The readings he had been given as far as what the radioactivity currently was around the plant was uh, 3.6 runtions. Mm-hmm. And that's not very much. It's way higher than what regular exposure should be. Yeah. Which I feel like is like one one millionth of a runtion. Yeah, radiation is not good for you. No, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) No, it is not. But you can, you can, your body can tolerate a certain level. Yes. To where it's not great, but not, you know. I mean, the sun is always beating Awful. radiation down yes. on us. I mean, yeah. nuclear power isn't the only source of radiation. No, it occurs yeah. naturally. Mm-hmm. Yes, the sun is a big one. <laughs> yeah, the sun is probably the most Very prevalent source of radiation. That sun. But that's why we love its power. Yeah. You know? And it shines so brightly and warmly upon us. It's true. Although when you're talking about, like, you know, nuclear meltdown, if you if there's no fire, but you're approaching somewhere that's nice and warm, that's... You probably turn around. Yeah. <laughs> not a good thing. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Not a good thing at all. Based on this information, though, he wisely decides, like, well, we should probably go to step four and let's call in some experts. Yeah, experts. Send them out there to just make sure everything goes as planned. But yeah, again, I'm I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. 
That's why we have experts, is for them to give expert opinions on stuff. The experts would be Valery Legasov. Great guy. Probably, you know, one of those guys that just had, like, a huge boner for science. Oh, right. And we need so many of those people in this world. That's true. Because there's so many of us that are just, like, dumb as fuck when it comes to science, such as myself. Yes. Boris Sherbina would come with him, and he is the guy kind of like the man in charge right. of investigating, containment, doing do, doing whatever has to be done to make it go away. Yep, He is yep. the man that makes it go away. Now, Boris is one of these, like, old-school communist guys. He's 66 years old, and he has seen, like, all of it as far as... So he was pretty much born right around the same time as communism in russia yeah if he was 66 in 1986 he would have been born in 1920 yeah so it was so, just right around the same the time right. that it was all getting sorted yeah they're killing the czars it's just coming it come it's right after world war one well, and sort then, of right at the end of world yeah, war one and so would have been going into seeing world war two so it's like lenin and stalin yeah he was there he was there throughout their whole regime yep yep so just basically knows how the system works and I don't think is very like ashamed of utilizing it, but fortunately he's one of he's one of them that will actually listen to reason. Yes. So, you know, unlike, you know, these two other like douchebags that are He's not a psychopath. Right. He's not just gonna be like, No, that's not an exposed reactor because when him and Legasov fly into Chernobyl later that day. That's exactly what they see. Like, well, Legasov hey, sees it, and he's that's, like, uh, um, "That's an exposed reactor, guys." Yeah, he's just like, "Do not keep flying that close, please. Like, yeah. maintain a distance." Because Legasov, he is—he's the deputy director of the Kurchatov Institute for Atomic Energy. So he knows what's so going on. He knows exactly what is going on. He is probably one of the few with any say-so in what's going to happen that actually knows what's going on. Old Boris is kind of like, what? What's the problem? <laughs> right? I don't and, see. This yeah. just, it looks fine to me. Yeah, so graphite is seen around the the exposed react, like on the ground, yes. around, you know, at the bottom of the building. It's it, it's on the roofs of the what's left of the building as well as the building nearby. <laughs> yeah. Graphite is extremely radioactive. It's basically the rods are tipped in graphite, but there's also graphite all around the reactor. Yes, the graphite is a big part in yeah. nuclear reactors. And there's just chunks of it everywhere. Yeah, not good. Smoking, giving off lethal doses of radiation if you get anywhere near it. Yep, difficult to clean up. D very difficult to clean up. It's gonna create. It's you're gonna need to come up with some creative solutions. I'll, <laughs> yeah, I'll get to that step here. <laughs> when they land and start talking to the powers at B in Pripyat, Legasov is basically just like blown away by the total incompetence <laughs> of everybody there and the fact that it they don't get there. It's 18 hours have elapsed since the explosion. And they're just now setting foot down, and they realize, like, nothing has been done except to seal off the city 
expose a bunch of firemen to lethal amounts of radiation as well as some workers here and there. Yes. And that's basically the fire is out and smoldering and that's it. So you guys that's put the all. fire out and it's business as usual? Right. Oh, keep everyone close by this thing. It'll be fine. Yeah, except the actual fire isn't out. The, re- the burning reactor core, right. that's happening. But, you know, the oh, the roof isn't on fire anymore. Great. That's cool. There's just graphite all over the fucking place and a burning reactor core. Yeah. Sweet. Sweet. Obviously, he recognizes that the situation is far worse than what was reported and is basically like, yeah. Action has to be taken soon. Like yesterday. Yeah. (laughs) Every minute that goes by, this is more and more radiation spewing out. It's not just going to stay around here. It's going to travel. It's going to keep extending and the. It's just going to keep getting worse. It's going to keep snowballing until like half of the fucking continent is dead. We can't have that. We cannot have that. Moving to step five. Which is what I titled. Okay, now we evacuate. Oh, yes, yes. Now those residents that we weren't, you know, we just wanted to make sure they couldn't get out, no one could get in. Actually, yeah, maybe we should make them leave. Let's let them go. Let's let's make them go. And get some damn sand while you're at it. Get some sand? Some sand. It's April 27th, 1986, 10 a.m., helicopters begin dumping sand and boron onto the fire. So Legasov is like, Decides that this is probably, like, the best way to get the fire put out as quickly as possible. Right. Not, like, this is the solution to everything. This is going to make everything going by. But in terms of the fire, the burning fire that is occurring. This is, yeah. This is the first, this is step one in getting that put out, at least. Yes. Helicopters have to drop in, like, tons of it over the fire except they can't quite get all the way over the fire because if they fly over the exposed core then they die then they die yeah Yeah. that's a lethal dose of radiation right there. yes like instantly and if you're high enough away that the radiation isn't affecting you you're too high to drop anything with accuracy well not sand with accuracy right you're getting as close as you possibly get still being exposed to a dangerously high level of radiation just in doing that but Hopefully not a lethal one. Yes. Hopefully you'll survive and only have to like get cancer in like five years or something. Yeah. Yeah. So they drop down from the 27th of April to the 1st of May. It's 5,000 metric tons of sand and boron. Wow. Yeah. 1,800 helicopter flights. Wow. That's crazy. 5,000 metric tons of sand and boron onto the fire. Man. Now, later that day, day one of dropping the sand onto the fire at 2 p.m., and this was at the behest of Sherbina, so Legasov gets there and is like, this is a fucking shit show, and so many people are going to fucking die if we do not start taking action immediately. (laughs) And instead of, like, you know, the, you know, Victor and Nikolai all like, no, there's nothing wrong. You're clearly wrong about this. You don't know what you're talking about. The fire is out. Everyone's fine. Sharina actually can assess and see, like, no, actually, no, this is uh, terrible. And and th- there's nothing fine about any of this. No, nothing at all. So the residents of Pripyat are evacuated. Up to this point, residents, they've been basically been told nothing except there was, like, an accident yeah. at the power plant. Just take some of your clothes and get out. They tell them that they are going to 
evacuate them for a period of three days. So it's not necessary for them to bring all their stuff with that. Yeah, just a couple of changes of clothes, some food. They know perfectly well that that's not the case, but they want to reduce panic and... Get people out of there as fuck as they can. Get people out of there as quickly as possible without dragging, like, every possession that they own. Yeah, they want, like, the donkey and the dresser and... Mm -hmm. I don't know how many donkeys there are there, but... It was about 75,000 people from Pripyat and then like like 20 to 30,000 more residents in nearby towns and villages yeah. that were evacuated. Eventually, like kind of a 30 kilometers around the nuclear reactor, the nuclear reactor is, I believe, the exclusion zone is what yes. eventually becomes the exclusion zone. Yes. Maria Prasenko. She was the chief architect of Pripyat. She actually facilitated quite a bit in the uh, executing of evacuating the town because she had designed the town. Yeah. So she was the one who like kind of dir- a thousand buses show up like like coach line buses, mm-hmm. big buses. To big take- old Greyhound buses or something. Yeah. Yeah. To take away all the residents. And so she was kind of in charge of showing them. Where the best pickup points were. Yeah, yeah. Because that's a lot of stuff to coordinate. A thousand vehicles, coordinating a thousand vehicles to pick up, how many you say, 80,000 people? Yeah, about 75,000. 75,000 people. That's that's something else. I mean, that's probably like your town and my town combined, like somebody coming up to evacuate. Probably. Mm Mm-hmm. I'd say that's probably accurate. That would be pretty pretty crazy to think about everybody. In in these towns, just yep. Every adult, every child, up, yep, loaded up on a bus and driven the fuck out. She would also be the one that the KGB asks to eventually build a fence around the exclusion. Oh zone. yeah, yeah. So Nali's like, okay, help us get everyone out of town quickly and efficiently. Uh, now you think you can uh, build a big giant fence? <laughs> keep motherfuckers out of here. Keep everyone out of the town that you design <laughs> and some other land, you know. With it, because the the town itself was only what like two or three kilometers. It wasn't huge. I mean, yeah. enough that there was well, still a shitload just from of... the nuclear power plant, but the the actual exclusion zone extends oh. much further oh, yeah, than yeah. the town of Pripyat. Oh yeah, the exclusion zone is a fairly large area. Mm-hmm. I have the. You have all the. Uh, I have the area stats on that. Yeah. The area stats on that. All right. Well, we'll get to that in a bit. Meanwhile, at hospital number six, that is a hospital in Moscow. I was very impressed with. The way the hospitals were named and are named to this day, like hospital number one, oh, and hospital right. number two. And, yeah. yeah. Makes it easy. It, I guess it's home. Like, which hospital you're at? Oh, 12. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Well, number six would be the one that most of the victims of the lethal amounts of radiation were initially brought to. So that would be like the factory workers, you know? Yeah. And also like the firemen, first responders on the scenes, all the ones that just got massively exposed just fucked they were all sent to hospital number six in moscow for treatment because the local pripyat hospital wasn't wasn't accepting anyone actually well yeah and they're just not (laughs) set up to deal with it's a small town hospital yeah yeah it's not there were specialists at the hospital in moscow i mean it's in moscow right yeah capital yeah yeah you gotta go to the the place where it's like bigger and they have a lot more specialists yeah all the stuff that you need to Try and treat massive uh, radiation burns and such. Those that were at hospital number six in Moscow included 
uh, Volodymyr Pravik, one of the first firemen on the scene, Alexander Akimov. Now, he was one of the engineers that was running the test. Yes. Very smart. Probably was one of the ones that was like, but, sir, like, maybe we shouldn't do it this way. And right. Only to be told by Dyatlov, like, you know, fuck you, do it now, or I'll have your fucking job. Leonid Tapuninov, he was the, the guy who was just two months on the job and the one who actually, like, pressed the the button. Yeah. The shutdown button. The big red, the probably big red button. <laughs> it's the AZ-3 or something like that, I think, is the official name. I can't remember what the official name is, but, yeah. Pushed the button in the attempt to shut everything down, but that actually caused the giant explosion. Which probably what was going to happen at that point anyway. Right, and it didn't matter who uh, touched the button. That was the reaction. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't really matter who pressed it at that point. That will, That's what was going to happen. So acute radiation poisoning. Acute radiation sickness. ARS. The symptoms include weakness, fainting, confusion. Bleeding from the nose, mouth, gums, and rectum. Lovely. Gross. Yeah. Bruising, skin burns, open sores on the skin, sloughing of the skin. That's when your skin comes off. Falls off. Dehydration, diarrhea, and bloody stool. Like if you've ever boiled a potato and then you could just sort of wipe mm-hmm. the skin of the potato away. That's that's like what. <laughs> yeah. That's That's graphic. Gross. I got another one that's almost as good when we're talking about the skin thing. Fever and hair loss. Your white blood cells are basically destroyed. There's inflammation of the exposed areas. Nausea and vomiting, including vomiting blood. And ulcers in the mouth, esophagus, and stomach and intestines. So basically, you're from your mouth to your ass just... Falling apart. Falling apart. You're falling apart. Basically falling apart. That's I, according to the Mayo Clinic, by the way, since I read that verbatim. <laughs> yeah, that's at like a genetic level. You're falling apart almost. Yeah, radiation is, that's why it's 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 one of the worst ways to go, in my opinion. Yeah. Absolutely one of the worst. Just being melted alive from the inside out. They made a really good, have you watched, did you watch the HBO Chernobyl at all? No, I didn't. <gasps> Oh my gosh. And doing this research, from what I've come to understand, it is wildly inaccurate. Well, I think there are parts that are wild. I don't know if it's wildly inaccurate. I know there's a lot of stuff left out, but I don't know. I thought it was excellent. Uh, I didn't. I haven't seen it. I, yeah. I, I don't have HBO, and so. Well, they can't make everything exactly the way it was. Oh, yeah. I and, and the I think, only, so the only real experience I have is just when I was reading some of these articles and mm-hmm. there were people just like yeah it was just you know it was, they didn't do it properly it was just <laughs> completely inaccurate and I don't know if they're talking about the actual explosion itself or like all of the events uh, of course you have to dramatize it right like well I think some of the events that like didn't happen was one of them was like young soldiers having to come out and like shoot a bunch of like pets and dogs people did have to leave their pets and dogs behind yeah, but yeah. They didn't have like 15 year old child soldiers like coming in and having to murder them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff like that. And then uh, well, I think the uh, the place where Lagasov lived was very uh, run down and gross to kind of give you the idea like, yeah, this is a communist country. Yeah. Yeah. You know, everybody's got 
it's shitty when in fact uh Legasov was someone who did actually enjoy like a nice place to live yeah because of his status and the outside of these houses may have all been your soviet chic but the insides were you could decorate the inside any way you wanted <laughs> right and just they kind of just made Legasov look like a lot more worse off than he was yeah and yeah yeah i mean i don't know I thought it was really good. One of the really good parts about it would be the special effects that they did on the people dying in hospital number six uh-huh. from radiation burns. Daniel Parker was the guy who was in charge of um, like makeup and prosthetics. Uh-huh. And he did really good research. He studied medical textbooks and tried to find out as much about it as he could and, and then recreate, recreate ARS it. as much as they could. Yeah. And oh man, it's so gross. Yeah, if it was free, I would totally watch it. If it was on some of the one of the streaming sites I have services oh, I have, I would totally watch it. There's no real reason. I, I don't have any. I'm not against watching it. I just don't have the opportunity. Mm-hmm. I keep my HBO just because they have all the good shows on there. <laughs> yeah, I don't need to. I pay, pay my extra for like another sixteen dollars a month. Yeah, I don't need to pay for more streaming services. Right, I have Cinemax, which I keep meaning to cancel because I got it free to watch something for like a week and then forgot to cancel. Oh, yeah. But then, like, probably every, like, fourth or fifth thing, I'm like, oh, I should watch that movie, and it's actually on Cinemax. I'm like, oh, well, I'm glad I've been too lazy to cancel my Cinemax (laughs) because here's something else that was on it I wanted to watch. Not exactly justifiable, but yeah, whatever. I pay for (laughs) three streaming services, I believe. I've got Disney Plus, I've got Amazon, uh, Hulu, and Netflix. And oh, on my four. Amazon, I have the HBO channel yeah, and yeah. the Cinemix channel. I forgot about Amazon. Yeah, I, I pay for four. Yep. Daniel Parker said, when describing the effects on your skin, acute radiation, you melt. The only way you can really describe it is putting salt on a slug. Oh, yeah. Totally. Uh, Tissue is breaking down. Skin just slips off. It'll just go. One day you move your arm and the skin will just fall off. Or like your great potato analogy that you just did. I mean, and here is like the worst, worst part about it. Besides the fact that you're just, you know, melting away. You can't even get any pain relief during this time because the walls of your blood vessels are eroding and breaking down so there literally is no way to like give you a morphine injection and have it actually circulate through your body yeah yeah and uh block that those pain receptors in your nervous system and so your body instead of being like a series of tubes is like a sponge and And so getting something from one end to the other isn't really something that can be done yeah you just you just can't do it so there is really no effective pain relief maybe as, a morphine bath <laughs> uh, as your skin just uh gelatinizes and rots away oh <laughs> uh, until finally it, it like reaches a level that i would guess you go into multi-organ system failure and then yeah. die eventually it becomes too much for your internal organs to handle and that's when it, death finally yeah when your organs comes to start you, and i'm sure at that point you're begging for it when your organs start to fall apart, I mean, it's, yeah. your shit's falling apart. But all the external 
stuff falling apart first. You, yeah. You feel all of that. Yes. Hideousness. Yes. And awfulness before the, you know, sweet release of death comes. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's what's happening to the first responders and the other and the plant workers. The plant workers. Exposed. And, yeah. Yeah. That's what's going on there. The Innocents and Heroes. April 28th, so just a couple of days later, is when the rest of the world kind of gets tuned in to what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Air monitors in Sweden detect a large amount of radiation in their atmosphere. So uh, it, it created this huge nuclear cloud that like, yes. floated over <laughs> several other countries. There's the south of France, there's Sweden, uh, parts of Germany, I believe. Oh, God, yeah, I mean... Yeah, just everywhere. It kind of just gets everywhere. It it fucks with people's crops eventually. There's widespread effects, but... This is the this is the first time the outside because they're the Soviet Union like yeah, nobody, nobody was saying shit behind about the anything. Iron Curtain mm-hmm. and so yeah Sweden's just like what's up guys yeah and then didn't, nothing here and then America <laughs> yeah they they traced it back to where like they're like dude that's in Russia yeah and then American spy satellites or spy planes flew over and they're like dude that's what the, the fuck that was the very next day April 29th is when America's just like okay uh spy satellite please <laughs> yeah let's let's take a look here oh let's, shit oh fuck look at that because the three days in they're still dumping sand yeah over the damn thing I mean <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the whole rest of the world kind of finally realizes what's what's going on over there and that they, th- this could be yeah, trouble. This is not good at all. Not good at all, but of course the, the assurances are made that everything is under control. Of course. When I'm sure the rest of them, you know, the other countries are like, but is it? But are is they it really? really? Because we've got a bunch of radiation here. It wasn't here a couple days ago. There's that whole Iron Curtain. So it's like, okay, should we... Do we really? ask? Do yeah. What do we do? How do we say nicely? Ask if they need some help or anyone got Gorbachev's number? Yeah. How do we not get uh, nuked? start war? <laughs> yeah. How do we not start war over this? Because they're saying they have it under control, but we're you know we just got to be that asshole that says yeah. I think maybe not. Like I'd hate to be that country, but. <laughs> This leads us to number six. Try to prevent total world destruction. Yes. That was definitely a priority. Yes, yeah. That's, that's where the world's where I keep all my stuff. <laughs> the boron and sand, while extinguishing the fire, have begun to melt under the extreme temperatures. Yes. It's like making glass, isn't it? Don't you use like yeah, sand, sand to make glass? You, you, yes. You, get, you heat it real hot. And it turns and into it glass. And it turns into glass. Yep, exactly. There's like well, silicone in it or something. I don't know. Same thing happening with the sand and boron, only it's not like hardened glass at this point. It's like liquid glass. So it's like hot lava. Well, liquid glass is technically always a liquid. Mm-hmm. And so it- It's just in its solid It's form, just, yeah, yeah. It's, it's something like that, or it's moving very slowly or some foolishness. But if it's over, you know, <laughs> a radioactive core, it's going to probably not solidify. No. It's a lot of, no, a lot of temperature right there. It's pretty hot. So it's just going to stay in its- liquidy phase it's yeah liquidy hot phase so it's basically like molten reactor fuel with the sand and the boron making this like highly explosive dangerous lava 
It's like radioactive lava sounds really terrible. Yeah, no shit. Like what? Just what's regular next? lava like, from like a volcano is scary enough. Radioactive lava wasps. Uh, is that what's next? That's the only thing worse that I can think of. <laughs> yeah, like no offhand. <laughs> Dude, I hope those guys are never around, and that's never a thing that becomes. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Anyway. Now, remember when they were fighting the fire on the roof and they kept telling everyone to pump water to the reactor core that <laughs> yep. wasn't intact yep. anymore, yep. that had, in fact, exploded? So they have all this lava in the, the chamber that housed the reactor core. Beneath it, it, there's a slab of concrete, like, as the floor. Yeah. Underneath that is some... Um, more hollow parts of the the factory itself. And those parts are flooded because of the firefighting efforts and also the attempts to flood the reactor with water. So it's so kind of got it's in a chamber underneath the floor an of underwater the lake kind of. Yeah, it's like an underwater lake that has accumulated underneath there uh, with the hot burning radioactive lava on top of it. If the burning lava gets through the concrete and hits the water, it's going it's, to explode. It's going to explode because it's very explosive stuff, except now you'll have the element of steam yes. helping it, making it even worse, uh, so that it's like not just it's not just a nuclear explosion, it's a thermal nuclear explosion. And they have three other reactors in close proximity. Right, and that will set off the secondary explosions of those reactors. <laughs> yeah, which is so not that eventually what we're looking for. It's going to be like Hiroshima times like a hundred to a thousand. There, There's no real way of measuring it other than... It would have been catastrophic. It would have been horribly catastrophic. It would have affected the entire world. It would have flattened at least two to three hundred kilometers around the reactor that's just with like the shock wave would literally flatten everything in his path in its path for hundreds of kilometers yeah. and miles. Man. Yeah. And then of course the radioactive the, yeah. cloud that would have been shortly after by the explosion would Make it like half of Europe uninhabitable for hundreds of years. Probably increase radiation worldwide. Oh, I'm sure it would probably would have created a nuclear winter. It could have. Yeah, it, it could, could well have. It that could have ended us. Very, very bad consequences. When faced with a worry like that, you got to go to step number seven. You got to enlist a few good men. The few good men you need to enlist. In this case, were Alexei Anenenko, Valery Bezpalev, and Boris Baranov. Not to be confused with Boris Badanov. <laughs> they volunteered slash were ordered. I'm not quite sure how, how that works. A bit of both? Probably. They went in wearing diving equipment for protection and had to go in and basically drain by hand this chamber. And they knew where all the valves were. It's dark. It's flooded. Yeah. Yeah. But they went in and they got it done. 
they navigated all the uh i don't know like all the debris, all the, all the debris, twists and that turns. Was, yeah, I mean, all the debris. There's just a fucking explosion yeah. here. It wasn't just like walking down a hallway. They right. Probably had to go it's ways. It's a that familiar going... hallway, but now it's been torn apart. And now you can't go down it. You got to go through a hole into the next room, mm-hmm. and then you know through that hole access a couple. Yeah, it just I. Yeah. It would be a maze. It'd be and like it's a flooded. labyrinth. It's flooded. Yeah. Underwater labyrinth. Maybe not completely underwater, but not, not completely, but not mostly, easy to walk through. Mostly. They managed to open the gates, so to speak, and the water drained out. Yay! We avoided complete world disaster at that <laughs> yeah. point. Oh, yay, we didn't blow up the planet! <laughs> That's a big celebration right there. Yeah. I would say Chernobyl is a really, really sad thing and an awful thing that happened because people were dumb and awful, but the effort and the sacrifices that people made to not make destroy, it not yeah. destroy the entire planet yeah. i mean it's pretty admirable definitely i mean the people who were just responding to an event that happened mm-hmm. were were heroic very heroic right because it would be a terrifying thing to do and a lot of them laid down their lives to do it yeah oh yeah I it should unfortunately never... it wasn't something that the, the only the people responsible had to had to do a yeah. lot of a lot of people who had nothing to do with any of it made the ultimate sacrifice in order yeah. to for the for the good of many not just the good not of just the good of uh, many the in the soviet union yeah, no, but, but for the, the good of the world, of the world. Yeah. just like bruce willis going up onto that meteor right asteroid actually yes to armageddon yeah to yep. save to save the planet yeah you, gotta save the planet somebody yeah. had to stay behind yep now that that threat has been neutralized there is another large pressing threat which has to do with the lava still getting into the ground below so they they drained all the water so at least it won't hit water and create a thermonuclear explosion destroying right. the planet yes that's however good. if it does still melt through the floor and get into the earth underneath yeah it's, it's going to contaminate groundwater the uh, it's going to go into the Pripyat River, which eventually, I guess, goes to the Black Sea. And the river, it's a, like half of whatever part of the USSR everything was a part of at the time. It like it would contaminate groundwater for crops that people drank very extensively. People drink it. Animals drink it. Animals eat the food that is grown with it. Mm-hmm. People eat the food that is grown with you it. People the eat the animals. I mean... When your main source of water is contaminated, that's that's a big problem. Yeah, that's a very big problem. In order to try and keep that from happening, they wanted to tunnel under the reactor and flood it with liquid nitrogen, I believe, and cool it from underneath. Oh, okay, yeah. So, I mean, that stuff's flammable too. A lot but... of miners are called down to come up, and a lot of them would be also exposed to massive doses of radiation yes just like the pilots and the people that were dumping the sand over a few weeks before because it's not even really contained at this point no it's just no a big open it you're still it it is still like totally like reactive patching yeah okay now we need another band-aid over here and just scrambling Mm -hmm. these miners over a few weeks dig a like 500 foot tunnel up to the reactor core in unbearably hot you're underneath a burning reactor core imagine yes. how hot it is 
Yes. They couldn't wear any protective equipment because of the heat that they were uh, working under and confined spaces. So a lot of them, I believe like maybe 10% of them would die before the age of 40. Wow. They were all probably in their 20s and 30s at the time. Yes. And 10% of them didn't even like make it to 40 years old. They didn't actually end up putting liquid nitrogen under the core. So this big tunnel. Oh, good. This this huge fucking tunnel that all these people risked their life for actually didn't even serve the purpose that it was intended to. But I mean, it could have. The, the, The lava actually doesn't ever break through that concrete floor. Oh, okay. But I mean, that's fortunate. Definitely. I mean, and it was definitely like a good contingency plan to keep it from happening. I mean, you don't know when that lava is going to break through or not. And you want to be prepared. Got to be prepared. They do end up putting a bunch of cement in the tunnels that they dug out just to kind of, you know, fill it up and make it that, that, then it's that much more that if it ever broke through. It would have to contend with. So they fill the tunnels with cement, not liquid nitrogen. Yes. Still a good idea. Yeah. Fill it with concrete. And at that point, that's kind of when the worst is over as far as having to the immediate dan- like high level danger threat. Yeah, it's still very dangerous, but it's like, okay, it's not world catastrophic. Yes, it's not dangerous. a world ending event at this right. point. It's Still needs to be taken care of, but... Absolutely. <laughs> but right now, it's not like, okay, like, are we going to kill everyone on the planet or not? They can breathe. Yeah. That's when you go to step number eight, is you enlist a few hundred thousand good men. May 14th is when Mikhail Gorbachev finally addressed, like, the public and the world about what happened. Like, so... Yeah. Good full two weeks later. And at this briefing, this news uh, briefing that he does, he also calls upon the people in the Soviet Union saying, like, we're going to need, like, a lot of people to come and help. (laughs) Yeah. Like, okay, we're not, you know, everything is under control now. And maybe that's not so much of a lie as it was two weeks ago. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Now it is actually maybe more under control. But, yeah, I'm calling upon all of you citizens of the motherland to... Get the Come. fuck down here. <laughs> Bring your brooms. Bring a shovel. Bring your gloves. Come on down. Come on down. We'll roast Help a pig. out with the cleanup. We need you. Mother Russia needs you. She wants you to come and clean the fuck up. The 23rd of May, that is the point when the residents that have been evacuated and those that are staying behind and doing the cleanup still, that's when they're like, oh, here, take these iodine tablets. <laughs> It's at no medical. It, it doesn't have any medical value anymore. They're just take take these. Yeah, they'll help. Iodine tablets uh, neutralize radioactive iodine, which uh, tend to you know accumulate. It tends ionizing radiation accumulates in your thyroid gland. Yes, yes. But the radioactive iodine is only active for ten days. Yeah. So it's, it has, it's when very... you're given it like like four weeks later, it's. It's already done the damage to your thyroid. Yeah. Like, it's too late to take iodine tablets and prevent any further damage. It's already decayed and shot out all of the whatever probably type. Exactly. Probably type A radiation. And 
fucked you. Yeah. But it's like, thanks anyways. The next step of the containment process would probably be the design of the sarcophagus. Yes. The big giant sarcophagus that is going to encase the entire uh, building and reactor within it. A big dome, kind of, yeah. Like a sports dome, you know? Yeah. Kind of like that, except over an open reactor core. Yeah. (laughs) Which presents a lot of difficulties when you think about how that needs to be constructive. Yes. Constructed. Yes. And upkept and all that. And then all the other stuff you got to do, too, surrounding the area. General Nikolai Tarakanov. He is the guy who is in charge of the ground cleanup and getting all the radiation contained everywhere else as best you can. Right. That meant, like, there's probably about 100,000 Soviet troops that he oversaw, and then there was about 500,000 civilians that came in to do all this cleaning up while they are constructing their giant sarcophagus. How many troops did you say? 100,000. So he had over a half a million people that he was mm-hmm. overseeing this task. That's right. That's man. And it was everything. There was planes that flew over dropping this like kind of sticky substance that cu- that stopped the dust from Okay, yeah. catching in the wind, all the radioactive dust. It's everywhere in the city around the plant. So it it just sticks to it and keeps it from flying away and spreading out further. You had people that had to go into every single residence and wipe it down by hand, all the radioactive dust crazy. that had accumulated on everything. And then they had people washing the streets down with hoses, like washing the streets, washing the cars, just continuously trying to neutralize and get rid of the radioactive gunk. Further out of the city, like houses in the little villages, they, they were bulldozed and then buried. Yep, just. If they can destroy it, just mm-hmm. raise it. Yeah, raise it and bury it in the ground. Yeah. It was incredible. This is when my coworker happened to kind of pass through that area. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I have a coworker. Her name is Irina. And she was 18 when this happened. Oh, wow. Okay. Her father was in the military and they were stationed out in Germany. And they lived in Odessa, Russia. And he was coming. They were coming back. From Germany to Odessa. Is she, was she American at the time? No, she, Or was it Russian military? Yeah, Russian military. Oh, okay, okay. Mm -hmm. They stopped in Kiev. The train stopped in Kiev. Yeah. And she said it was the end of May, so this is kind of like right when the initial cleanup is starting. The week before they handed out, like, the useless (laughs) right too late iodine iodine The iodine tablets. Yeah. In fact, the people of Kiev had just, in the last couple of days before the end of May, they had just finally been warned not to eat leafy greens and that... Oh, wow. Yeah. Took I mean, they, eva- they evacuated uh, Pripyat. Oh, yeah. And the surrounding areas, but, you know, 60... 60 miles 60 away. 60 miles away in Kiev, they still weren't even saying, like, oh, hey, be careful of produce. Right. No, they were just... Uh, yeah. So finally they were they were saying be careful of the produce. <laughs> By the way, when the train pulled up at the train station, it was going to be like several hours, she said, and it was a really hot day and it was so it was like just stifling, uncomfortable. Stifling, yeah, in the train and they were told to stay inside if they could, that they shouldn't 
go outside and go shopping. They did go not to buy any fresh produce. Yeah. No berries or mushrooms. I think to this day they have like radioactive mushrooms like growing out there. Yes. Yeah. It was really difficult to do because not only was it the train stopped for several hours in Kiev, she had really wanted to go shopping because she told me a little something about what it was like living behind the Iron Curtain. Oh, yeah. Growing up. Um, Kiev was the capital city. Yep. And so they tended to have like the best food and also just goods of things that you can get. You could probably get Levi's there. I just couldn't believe it. She said stuff like, like if you wanted to couch, there isn't just like furniture stores like everywhere because you know you're not in, living in like a like a capitalist society where you know it's driven by consumer need and money and yeah, it's one hundred percent different. If you needed a couch, you had to like know a guy who like knew a contact who might be getting some couches in. Weird. Somewhere. Yeah. So it, it was very like black need, market kind. It of. was. It was. It was just like the black market is. What I was thinking I mean, when you she was describing get busted. it to me. KGB wouldn't kick in your door and be like, hey, that's our couch or whatever. Right, right. But you still couldn't just order one. No. And I would imagine that may be different in communist countries today because you could just buy it online if you needed a couch. Right. Even if- Assuming they'll deliver to where you live. Yes. Well, I mean, there I would are imagine more remote places of the world. Though. I would imagine in the case of, say, China, mm-hmm. since, you know, they heavily restrict their Internet traffic, that it's probably not a lot of Amazon shipments, but probably AliExpress or right. whatever. And mm-hmm. so I'm imagining that AliExpress probably delivers to most places in China since they're a Chinese company, I believe. One would imagine. But, yeah, it's hard. It's, it's hard to think about how that must have been. But yeah, you had to know a guy who knew a guy in order to get a couch. That's crazy. So it was really disappointing to be in Kiev and not be able to go shopping because this was like one of the last like good stops before you're home to where maybe you can like pick up some stuff to bring home. Yeah, yeah. There is also this uh, Kiev tour, this cake, I guess, that they're famous for. You can buy it in other places, but... It's not the same. It's not the same yeah. as when you, you get the authentic Kiev tour. So she was just like, fuck, I can't go with this stuff. Right, There's no right. shopping. And they were watering down the streets. They had people come in with hoses uh, that were hosing the streets down. Wow. And she said that there were soldiers driving cars with the loudspeakers telling people as they came you know, through the train station and everything, that, you know, don't be out in the sun if you don't have to be. Don't buy any of the produce. <laughs> You know, Man. Yeah. So she said it was very surreal. Yeah, I'm sure. Several hours later, you know, train moves on and then she's, you know, further to a much safer. Away from away Ukraine. Away from the Ukraine. Yeah. But that was that was her experience. Crazy. Like, yeah. Within a month of the disaster. That's that's what it was like there when she stopped through there. Kind of similar to it is around here now. I know. Except without the nuclear part. <laughs> yeah, it was funny like, talking to her. She's like, yeah, it felt very surreal. And we just kind of like looked at each other. It's like, yeah, kind of like now. It's crazy. <laughs> kind of like now times. But yeah, I'm glad there's no radiation. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's I'm, a different kind of threat, unseen threat. Yeah, I am way more scared of radiation than germs just because radiation can get to you everywhere and under any circumstances you can pass it person to person a person become radioactive yeah so you can get it that way it's in the air it's in the it can contaminate every single thing around you 
germs. It's like you can't get like plague germs in every single thing. It's not going to be in your drinking water. Exactly. It's, you know, it's not going to be in your uh, completely permeating your environment. Right. Unlike radiation. So, yeah, there's some pretty scary germs out there. But if you limit your people contact. Chances are you're not going to get them. Right. Your people and your touched surfaces by other yeah. people contact. radiation is fucking everywhere yeah radiation you just you, what do you fucking do you can't do anything about it so one of the most dangerous parts of the cleanup since the first responders had come in and well i feel like every part of it was dangerous there <laughs> yeah pretty much <laughs> when you but talk another about dangerous like, part <laughs> <laughs> when you talk about exposure levels so there was the People in the helicopters dropping the sand over. There's the ones that went under the reactor core, both to drain all the water out and then also to dig the tunnel under it. There would be a couple other instances where, again, had to have that kind of same level of exposure in order to get the job done. There was no other way to but having boots on the ground in an area where those boots were going to die. Also known as, step number nine, bio-robots. The people that were called in to clean everything up, take care of everything, in general, they were called liquidators. Yes. The bio-robots were the folks that had to go in in place of robots or place robots in places where even a couple of minutes of exposure was lethal. And I think that was a way of maybe detaching from what had to be done to think of them as bio robots and not actual living people that yeah. you had to send in to their death do this job. There's two instances where the bio robots were used. They are coming up with this sarcophagus and beginning to build that, but then they realize that there's all that I remember all that graphite that was all over the place. Yep. That has to be pushed into the reactor you can't just have it no you all over keep the place everywhere you want to keep all your radioactive shit in one place right so before they're going to be able to build the rest of the sarcophagus and contain everything you got to get all this graphite off of the roof and and the surrounding uh areas and you know just shovel it into the burning reactor yeah core, into that whole you big pile of debris doesn't have to be pretty no no one's gonna see it for the first few days, they used robotic vehicles to push it off. But it was the fucking 80s, so there was a limit to the technology they had. Big limit to the technology. Not only that, but then the uh, the radioactive waves coming off of all the debris eventually like short-circuited. Oh, yeah. All the, the robots. It's heat, so yeah. it's gonna it's, fuck it, shit up. It's gonna melt wires and circuit boards. It melts and... wires. It melts people. Yeah. Um. <laughs> It's very melty. Very melty, that nuclear radiation. Once the robots were melted, essentially, then, yeah, it had to be bio-robots that they put in their place, as in people going out for, oh, I don't know, like 45 to 90 seconds, you had to go out there with your shovel and shovel up this radioactive dust and graphite and debris and, like, hurl it over the edge into the void that used to be the reactor and run the fuck back and run the fuck back general tarakanov ordered the people that were doing this they removed the lead sheets that were covering one of the parts of the building that was supposed to like you know be all like protective like just in case like yeah. kind of the emergency bunker 
he told them to take the lead sheets off of there and fashion their own armor. Oh, good. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> for when they had to get out and shovel all the stuff off. <laughs> and after each use, it had to be thrown out because it had absorbed so much radiation. Yeah. And then also, <laughs> lead's not the best thing for you. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. Lead was actually dropped in as well as the sand and boron, but they did the sand and it wasn't until they actually drained that water because lead can liquefy or, you know, just go through like a bullet and hit that water and then create the yeah. thermal nuclear explosion. You can still detect levels of lead in the air because some of the lead did liquefy and then release into the air when they dropped it in to put the fire out. Yeah. Wow. It cooled it, like, pretty quick. It cooled it better than the sand and the boron. But, yeah, it also had its own side effect. <laughs> yeah. So there's that. It's like, take off your poison armor because it's absorbed too much of this other poison. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, people were getting called out. I mean, you only could go out for 45 seconds at a time. And it, some of the uh, liquidators were saying how maybe they did, like, 10 times that day, like, went out on that roof. And uh, shoveled radioactive shit until, like, they were basically, like, puking. Yeah, until they had... Yeah, until they were... Falling apart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The other instance where the bio-robots were used, they had, like, robotic machinery in place to start building the sarcophagus, because if you can imagine, the area immediately around the exposed core is the most lethal. Yeah, yeah. And how do you sit and like put bricks of concrete together right outside of that and not you can't just like do that for 40 seconds and no. then run. There's no. no way to do that or you know, it's not even the same as dumping the sand where you dump the sand out real quick and fly away. Yeah, no, nothing like how that. You, you actually do, have like, this to do stuff. Yeah, this yeah. intricate time-consuming work when you can't you're not going to live yeah. for <laughs> for very long. They did find, like, robotic machinery to take care of that, but then people still had to put the robotic machinery, like, into place, yep. get it in the right position, and get everything lined up to where it did whatever it needed to do. There was do casualties that. no matter yeah. what. No matter what. Eventually, though, the, the walls of the sarcophagus did come up, and a dome was built out of there. It was completed on the 14th of December. 1986 and on the 22nd of december soviet scientists announced that it was now enclosing the entire reactor and that it should last a lifetime or 20 or 30 years <laughs> right <laughs> depending upon how long the person lives it could be a lifetime right <laughs> if you want to look at it another way 20 to 30 years yeah <laughs> that's the nine steps to Nuclear cleanup there. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> the trial began July 7th, 1987. So they waited until after they had contained this to, you know, get Mostly these people. Contained. Mostly contained. Uh, it, was a, it was an ongoing process, but yeah. It, w it wasn't dire at yes. that point. Uh, this lasted until July 30th. So three weeks. Soviet law states that the trial needed to take place near where the crime was committed. So a courtroom was built near Chernobyl at the House of Culture, 11 miles from the accident. Like, why? I just don't understand. Like, I know. That's so dumb. It's probably... I mean, of all the rules to just look the other way on, it would be that one. Yeah. Like, can't we yeah. just uh, make an exception? Just this once. Just this once. Yeah. 38 witnesses went to stand, 13 of those sick from radiation. They said some pretty damning things, 
Workers were playing cards in other games or writing letters while on duty. There were reports of Viktor Bryukhanov sending first responders and workers into dangerous parts of the facility and downplaying how bad everything was. Ultimately, the blame was mainly put on Brekhanov, who was the most senior person at the facility, but others also received time in labor camps for their parts. Russian labor camp probably sucked a lot, I would imagine. Yeah. The judge that presided over the trial was called Raymond Bryce, and it took him 90 minutes to read the verdict in the hot courtroom. Here's the folks that were blamed for the incident. Anatoly S. Dyatlov was the deputy chief engineer and was sentenced to 10 years in the labor camp, three of which he served. Viktor P. Brekhanov was the plant director and received 10 years in a labor camp, in addition to five years for abuse of power, as he was singled out as being mostly to blame. Nikolai M. Fomin was the chief engineer and also received 10 years in a labor camp. Boris V. Rogozin was the shift director of Reactor 4, sentenced to five years in a labor camp. Alexander P. Kovalenko was the chief of Reactor 4, got three years in a labor camp. Yuri A. Laushkin was a senior engineer and was sentenced to two years in a labor camp. Alexander Akimov was the shift supervisor for Reactor 4 during the test. Leonid Tuptunov was the senior reactor control chief engineer on Reactor 4. And Valery Perevozchenko was the Reactor 4 section foreman. These men all died trying to get the reactor stabilized and were awarded the Order of Courage once it was recreated by the Ukrainian president Leonid Kuchma on August 21st, 1996. So it took a while before their names were officially cleared of the incident. Yeah, they didn't even have the award that it didn't even right. exist until 10 years after. Right. Perevozchenko also ran around looking for survivors after the explosion, which is insane. According to Anatoly Dyatlov, the official narrative is not how the whole thing went down. Well, he would say that, it seems like. And he was thrown under the bus. He said that everything was completely fine until there was an explosion. Plaster and dust from the ceiling fell down, but Dyatlov thought it was just one of the gas tanks or something on the roof that had exploded. So he ordered everyone to a different control room because of all the debris, you know, being a hero. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until the computer showed that the power was rising, but nothing was cooling, that he realized that this had not gone well. Byukhanov was interviewed in 2006, where he said that he believed that the engineers working that night had made some mistakes, but he and Dyatlov both agreed that there was something wrong with the reactor and even with nuclear power in general. Mm-hmm. Well, there was something to that, the graphite tips. Yes. That was a flaw that the scientific community really wanted to champion, uh, having it be fixed, but because of the government being the way it was, the operators didn't even know about what could happen. Yes. They didn't know about that particular aspect of the reactor. And even if they and did... It, it was classified. I mean, people knew about it. Like, like uh, Legasov knew But not everyone was, knew. But not everyone knew because that kind of information was classified and, and you know... Well, yeah, this nothing was, can appear to be flawed. It's the way their nuclear reactors were working. I'm sure it was some sort of not the same way they were doing it in America. And so Russia wanted to keep that a secret. So as America did not, you know, get the the upper hand and more, right. not, you know, because because there was the Cold War. Yeah, was, there's a yeah. lot of political reasons why that information was suppressed. But ultimately, 
that it it ended very badly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because even though they totally, like, Dyatlov totally went against protocol, he still thought that the fail-safe would work when you push the button. Yeah. When you push the shutdown button, it would actually shut down, not mm. explode. Instead. So even though they completely fucked everything up and shouldn't have had to push the button in the first place. Hoping that the pushing the button was going to fix everything. They still yeah. didn't, couldn't have anticipated that pushing the button would cause it to explode because they had never been given that information. Exactly. Belarus, Russia, and Ukraine are the areas most affected by the explosion at Chernobyl. However, most of Europe was affected to some degree. A little over 770,000 square miles. 200,000 square kilometers. Radionuclides seeped into the plants, which were then eaten by animals. A radionuclide is what a radioactive element is. In this case, we're talking about iodine, cesium, strontium, and plutonium. The amount of radioactive stuff in the three most affected countries were not evenly spread. Some of this had to do with weather. If it was raining at the time the radioactive cloud passed over, that would result in more contamination. The rainwater would drag it down into the ground. Also, the elements themselves played a role. Plutonium and strontium physically weigh more than iodine and cesium, so those two elements were only found at up to 62 miles away from the blast, 100 kilometers. So that would have been seen in Kiev. Mm -hmm. The iodine radionuclei, iodine-131, has a half-life of eight days. Half-life is how long it takes for half of an, an element's atom to decay, and decay is measured in half-lives, so an element can undergo many half-lives. The other three elements released in the blast are a very different story, and will cause problems for hundreds to thousands of years, though the radioactivity will be much reduced in the long-term future. Nevertheless, it's not safe to eat many plants and animals that live in the forests in Belarus, Russia, and Ukraine due to the levels of radiocesium in them. Reindeer in the Nordic countries, so Norway, Sweden, all that kind of stuff, were also heavily contaminated. Farms around the areas, very contaminated, very contaminated. Cesium was found in plants and animals. They really stressed that it was in cow milk. Mm. Cesium has a half-life of 30 years, so that's not great. No. Today, there is a metal dome over the reactor that blew. It remains highly lethal and will for an, around another 20,000 years. Oh, yeah. People do go into the exclusion zone today, but should probably throw away the clothes they wear and don't stay too long. Also, a mask and gloves would be a good idea, as well as the knowledge that anything, anything that you eat or drink from this area will be contaminated. So don't. Just don't do it. I saw a few YouTube videos of people like going into... Uh, Pripyat, and even into part of the uh, the the nuclear factory. Right, that's crazy. Um, yeah, I mean, just being stupid as fuck. Oh yeah, because they have their little like dosimeters, and it's just like you know, like crackling yeah. so loud at all the radioactivity. Um, I guess you know whatever gets you views and those likes. YouTube views. Yeah, I mean, shit. There's the basement of the the hospital in uh, Pripyat where the fireman's gear was thrown and is still in the basement to this day oh yeah and you come up on their their jackets and their boots and it just it off the charts off the charts that's crazy with the radioactivity the exclusion zone is a thousand square mile area 2600 square kilometers this year wildfires were burning areas around and near the reactor 
Yeah. It's not a good thing, but no. it's also not as bad as like Facebook and what well, have I've, you may, may have you believing. I read that forest fires are actually rather common in that area. It's just that this one was, this particular one is burning pretty out of control, but not. Recent rains have actually handled yeah, it too. It's, it, it's, it's getting there, but it was bigger than the one's prior to it i guess it did increase radiation levels but it mm -hmm. wasn't enough to endanger anyone living around the exclusion zone i mean no one lives in that zone but you know the surrounding towns it's it's just fine yeah. there now there was some information going around about a radioactive cloud of smoke from these fires i read that that was a case of mistranslation and that the information should have said potential contaminated air masses which I mean, could still be a radioactive cloud, but right. it could also just be, you know, other stuff too. Not quite as like maybe you just don't see it like a smoke cloud. <laughs> yeah, it's just not as as you know, radioactive cloud of smoke sounds terrifying. Yeah, it does. The initial explosion killed two workers outright, and then twenty nine more from acute radiation sickness in the following three months. One of the workers is still like entombed in there. Oh, crazy! Yeah, yeah. I'm sure she just couldn't they get never, him out. They never found his yeah. body, and yeah, they just had to be left in there. 237 people ended up needing to be taken to Moscow at the hospital number six. Good for old this, hospital yeah. six. 134 of those showed symptoms of acute radiation sickness. The UN says that 50 died of ARS and anticipated another 4,000 deaths related to radi radiation by 2005. Greenpeace International puts the death toll by 2005 at 90,000, while the World Health Organization puts 5,000 deaths of cancer related to Chernobyl. I believe these numbers are in addition to the Soviet numbers. The Soviet government, as you know, they created a special status. It was called the liquidator status. And these were the first responders. Mm -hmm. 600,000 people were granted this status. Yes. There's a report that says the number sh maybe should have been higher, that the number of people involved in the cleanup and everything should have been closer to 830,000 people. So these people got special treatment, special like insurance kind of because because mm -hmm. they were like they were involved yeah mm -hmm. by 2005 it's believed that 15 percent of these people died around 118,000. the report is disputed by some however though it's hard to say exactly how many people died seven million people ended up getting some kind of compensation for damages or losses caused by the chernobyl accident there's people that get compensated even today i think when you're living like close to a Oh, probably. Close to the exclusion zone. Sort of like when you live in Alaska and you get the oil revenue. Right. But it, a lot shittier. It, yeah, a lot <laughs> shittier because one of the lasting effects has been on those that were children during the Chernobyl ex explosion and then the children of those children. Yeah, yeah. And probably those children's children yep. eventually. Yep. Again, there's no solid numbers nobody really acknowledges anything i remember uh reading well this is my own fault because i was i was looking at stuff on wikipedia oh yeah <laughs> but it was just like this one statement about like it is actually like thought that there aren't as many people that were affected by it as some you know other groups are saying you have to take into account that they're like al there's alcoholism and depression and all sorts of that stuff going on. So just the people being di displaced and losing their home, they didn't really need to be evacuated because of the radiation. Oh right, it was like a safeguard, but then it really fucked the rest of their life up, and they drank and smoked a lot because of it. And that's 
the problem. I'm like, okay, like who in Russia what? is writing this right now? <laughs> who puts this edit in? <laughs> Just like some guy who still thinks that the Soviet Union was a good idea was just like, no. Nah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, it. people really do, like, I think, freak out about radiation. And yeah, justly as so. they should. But one of those ways to freak out about it isn't it, wanting to know. It's, it's trying to, like, suppress the, the truth about it. Yeah, that's it's, not, that's not really the, a good idea. Yeah. Truth suppression is generally bad. It is generally bad. But clearly, whoever put this part in <laughs> was trying to really downplay like there wasn't really a lot of radiation yeah, that's just, not what's causing problems is it made people depressed and they are drinking too much alcohol that's what it is of that's course. what it is of that's what's going on it's not because there was and still is a level of radiation that is uh dangerous affecting people in a huge way like and the, will the number of thyroid cancer cases? I mean, it was insane. insane, but nobody will officially say it's because of Chernobyl, but everybody does. Just as there's several orphanages now in the Ukraine and Belarus, uh, they're kind of like the hospitals, yeah, like orphanage number one and mental asylum number two, yeah, where they have just babies born with all sorts of fucked up birth defects. A lot of them are hydrocephalics, yep. so they have the water on the brain. And because it's such a poor country, you can't do what they can do in most of, like, you know, Western Europe and America and any, you know, first world country where you put a shunt in and drain that fluid. Oh, yeah. They the can. babies just live like that until they die, basically. A lot of them have cerebral palsy, these huge tumors that cause their legs not to grow, and they can't do surgery. Yeah. They just don't have the means. They just they don't, don't have, have means. the means. There is actually a heart defect that is known as Chernobyl heart, where it's a hole between the two upper chambers oh, great. of your heart. And again, uh, you know, thousands die waiting for surgery on this condition. It's a fairly actually easy operation. There's a great documentary called Chernobyl Heart. Uh huh. And it's very short. You can find it on YouTube. It was HBO, but it was so long ago. It's not on like the HBO oh, yeah, channel yeah. anymore. You got to find it on YouTube. That's funny. Yeah, it was my first time actually even really learning the extent of Chernobyl. I think it came out in like 2001 or 2002. And prior to that, it was just like, oh, here's this page. Here's, you know, page 54 through 57 of your textbook in elementary school. Right. Talking yeah. about the Chernobyl disaster. That was the first time I, my eyes were really open to like how extensive it was to see all these kids born with these birth defects, born with this condition known as Chernobyl heart. Because of all the goddamn radiation. Because of all the goddamn radiation yeah. and the fact that, no, you don't, when you look this up in, on the web, it's just like, oh yeah, like, you know, 50 something people were killed and it's just like, hmm outright outright maybe but but, for but yeah you don't see anything about decades after and it's probably because it is hard to count it is it's it i'm sure because it can have so many effects when lower levels of radiation yeah you're not going to melt but yeah it changes your dna so it can cause any number of birth effects that you pass on to your children yep leukemia thyroid cancer those are all those all increase, but I mean, people get those types of cancers anyway. Yep. So it's so hard it's, to quantify what is it because of Chernobyl? Yeah. Or is it just because? But I think just 
based on the numbers of how many orphanages and hospitals and things that have become necessary since Chernobyl that has to be because of Chernobyl is probably the only way to say it. But yeah, it's, it's very sad. And when I was watching this documentary, the parents being interviewed would be asked, like, do you live in the exclusion zone or near the exclusion zone where you get like the extra money? And then some of them would say, yeah, but it's been declared safe now the area yeah, I live. Yeah. And so now they don't give us that money anymore. Right. And yeah, I mean, just the whole thing, just the whole effect that it's, it's had even to this day and will continue to have on people. It's, it's very sad. Yeah. It's, it's the most we've, it's the worst thing we've done to the planet. We right. Fucking just, it's this Which poisonous, goes- it's like a, it's like a septic wound that won't heal. That right. won't heal for 20,000 years. This is the sad, horrible result of what can happen with a source of power that is, you know, on paper, it seems great. Yeah. Yeah. You know, oh, so little waste and not using up all this coal and you get the energy that everyone needs insane but but something goes wrong i mean the effects are widespread and can last forever well two go blucky tepes basically yeah because you know that was like ten thousand years ago so basically Mm -hmm. two of those in the future and that's just for some of the elements. I think like plutonium itself isn't that half life like two hundred and forty five thousand years or no, something. No, I think the whole I think the whole area is cool in twenty thousand years. Yeah, well, there's but there's one there's certain elements. I think that they they live on hundreds of thousands of years. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm yeah. not sure if plutonium or cesium. I know cesium is not, but I'm not sure if plutonium or I think yeah, I think it's either uranium or plutonium has like yeah tens of thousands of years and one even a hundred thousand of half-life for all intents and purposes uh our definition of eternity because oh yeah i mean we're not gonna be around no by the time that some of those chemicals it depends on the kind of plutonium some kinds of plutonium have a half-life of twenty-four thousand years other kinds have a half-life of 80 million years oh my god so i'm assuming the can <laughs> that they used there was probably the 24 thousand mm-hmm. year one or something i don't know that's insane. And that was just information from Wikipedia I googled real fast, so I don't know <laughs> exactly how accurate it is. But nevertheless. Nevertheless, yeah, it's a, it's a dangerous but beautiful thing. I mean, yeah. Fukushima, nobody even really, I don't think anybody even really fucked up there. There was a fucking earthquake and a yeah. tsunami. Yep. So, yeah, nuclear energy, great on paper, but it can cause... Yeah, it's not easily something that's fixed once it breaks. No, it is not at all. Although, I mean, fossil fuels, it's doing it's more of a slow burn, I say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, really. It's like do you want to kill the earth slowly over time or do you want to do it really quickly all at once? Yeah, it's Yeah. Lucky us. <laughs> right? There doesn't seem to be a good answer for an energy source which uh clean, safe. Clean, safe. And if, you know, not, you know, world catastrophic, if something... I think that goes under safe. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, nuclear energy, technically, right now, it's safe when it's contained properly. Like, yeah. But safe, safe. Yeah. Not just kind of safe, safe. though. Not just kind of safe. Not with the the potential to, you know, 
kill everything on the planet. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope you all enjoyed our discussion about Chernobyl. Some wild shit. Definitely. Be sure to take a look at ageofradio.org. That is the podcast syndicate we are a part of. Also, take a look at our Patreon, patreon.com slash strangerthanpodcast. A donation of $2 a month will get you your regular episodes ad-free, and a $5 a month will get you a bonus episode every month. And you can even binge the bonus episodes at this point. You can. I think we got 13 now, something yeah. like that. So you've got uh, quite a bit of stuff to listen to. Also, check out our social medias. We're any place that we are under the name Stranger Than or Stranger Than Podcast. And with that, we will talk to you next time. And stay strange. Stay strange.